Gospel according to John chapter 3. Glory to you, O Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If, you have told, if I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. morning. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to give us eternal life. Amen. So John 3.16 is probably the most well-known Bible verse. For God so loved the world, you can say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Great. So we're going to talk about this verse this morning uh, in four parts. For God so loved the world. One of the problems in um, Christianity today is there's a misunderstanding that God doesn't care about the world. And you see this in um, popular movies like the Left Behind franchise, those books, uh, which are entertaining but not very biblical. And from that whole sort of rapture um, thinking, 
there's this notion that the, the earth is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. And that's not really biblical. And that's not really been a part of what we've taught as Christians for thousands of years. It's a relatively new misunderstanding. Um, when we think about this verse, for God so loved the world, what that implies is that so should we. So should we. You see, if we think that God is just going to let the world get worse and worse and worse, you can see how that sort of uh, makes us callous and numb and absolved to, to sort of give up and get cynical about the big problem. Ah, well, whatever, you know, Jesus is going to come back anyway. You know, that is not the attitude that we should have. We should love the world. If for God so loved the world, so should we. And we pray it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the long-term goal is for the earth to get better, more peace, more just, more verdant, more green, clean oceans, beautiful mountains, cities with people who eat well and live well and aren't homeless and there's not violence. That's the world God wants us to seek after because God loves the world, so should we. That he gave his only son. Again, there is a misunderstanding in Christianity that goes something like the only way that our sins could be forgiven is if God the Father were to punish Jesus. When we closely read the Bible, that's not, that's not it at all. That's not it. What we want to think about here is that he gave his only son has a totally different meaning. So I'll give you an example. Another, I, and I say Bible, and I really mean that. If we think back to Genesis, you've got um, Abraham. Twice, Abraham tried to kill his kids. The first one was Ishmael, and he sent him off into the desert. And the first thing that he did after he abandoned him is God sent an angel to rescue Ishmael and his mother. And then later, Abraham got it in his head that God wanted him to take Isaac up a mountain and sacrifice him. And God said, don't do it, and provided a ram in the thicket. He said, sacrifice that. And then from there on, throughout the Bible, any time anybody gets it in their head that they need to somehow sacrifice their kid, God says, no, no, no. Jesus said that if you make a little person stumble, it'd be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. I mean, it really made Jesus mad. You know, the little children wanted to come to Jesus, and the disciples said, make them go away. They're bothering Jesus. And he said, suffer the children. Suffer them. Okay, so God the Father is not in the business of punishing his son. But he is in the business of giving his son away. So if God gave his only son, 
so should we. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, easy for you to say, Pastor, you got five kids. You give one away, you still got four. All right? But I'm not just talking about our biological children. I'm talking about our spouses. I'm talking about our friends. I'm talking about all the people who are near and dear to us in our life. We have to let them go. We have to give them freedom. Psychologists call this emotional differentiation. In other words, God sent Jesus differentiation. God sent Jesus to earth and said, you go, you do what you want to do. This is part of what it means to have healthy relationships with people. We share some things in common and we love each other and we give each other freedom. If you want to go do that, you go do that. And if you've had the, the privilege and the challenge of raising a child, you know that that's part of the deal. Eventually, you got to let them go. And you should, that's healthy. So he gave his only son, Jesus, so should we. Emotional differentiation, giving each other freedom and space to make our choices and to live our lives. So that whoever believes in him, this was the one that the children's sermon was about, right? It's totally ludicrous to think that you can just, oh, I believe in Jesus, and just go on living a terrible life, hurting people. That's not what it's about. If we believe in Jesus, then we should actually believe Jesus. Christianity has gone astray if we just make about putting Jesus on a pedestal and lifting him up and saying, gosh, he's so wonderful. He does everything for us. I don't have to do anything. Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. And we are in error when we think that way. If we believe in Jesus, then we ought to actually believe Jesus. You know, in the same gospel, John, Jesus repeatedly says, if you're my disciples you will do greater things than I have done. Turning the water into wine, healing the blind, making the lame to walk. If we believe in Jesus, then we believe Jesus. And we live, we strive to live as he lived. And if we're going to strive to live that as he lived, this part's really important. So let me give you a quick story. Once upon a time there was, and I told this at Bible study, there was the greatest tightrope walker that ever lived. The greatest tightrope walker. This tightrope walker walked on a tightrope between the, uh, the Twin Towers in New York a long time ago, back in the 80s. This tightrope walker would tightrope walk blindfolded to music, would dance, would juggle, would go backwards, would go on a unicycle. And then one day, this tightrope walker wanted to do the greatest stunt ever. Tightrope walk across the Grand Canyon, blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow. And all of his entourage said, no, you've gone too far. It's too dangerous. Don't do it. Except this tightrope walker had a number one fan. 
And this number one fan met him at the Grand Canyon and said, I believe in you. You can do it. So the tightrope walker said, then get in the wheelbarrow. Right? That's what we're talking about when we believe in Jesus. We, we, we take up our cross and we follow him. We believe in him. We do it too. Would not perish but have eternal life. And on here, I'm going to put starting now on earth. Again, we are in error if we think that the eternal life we get from having faith in Jesus is just heaven after we die. That's part of the story. That's part of the story. But the rest of the story is that the eternal life, the not perishing, happens now. Starting now, here on earth, eternal life, not perishing. And to tell you what I mean about this, I want to talk for a second about my grandpa, Elmer. My grandpa, Elmer, was my mom's father. Now, he grew up during the Depression in Nebraska on a farm. And my grandpa, Elmer, I learned later in life, wasn't a big churchgoer when he met my grandma. In fact, it was something they had to work out because my grandma, who I've talked about before, she wrote Sunday school curriculums, she taught in Christian schools, she was a very devout woman. And when her and Elmer were, were dating, she pretty much said, you either have to get on board with uh, faith or it's not going to work out. And so the, the story goes is they found a church, and um, they, uh, they welcomed them in, and they said, you know, we don't acknowledge infant baptism, so you're going to have to get baptized again, which they made my grandma do, but they didn't make my grandpa, which, you know, just kind of tells you how things were maybe a little unequal back then. Um, and then another story goes that later when my grandpa, they lived here in Cucamonga, and they went to or my, my grandpa worked for Kaiser Steel, one of his worker buddies wanted to start a Bible study. And he was a real hardcore fundamentalist type Christian. And he said, we're going to start a Bible study at work for all us steel guys to get with the Lord. And apparently it didn't work out. You know, the, the, the guys were too salty. They didn't, they didn't, you know, they weren't nice and well behaved like this Bible study leader wanted. And after a couple weeks, he threw up his hands and he said, forget it. We're not doing this Bible study anymore. The only people saved in here are me and Elmer. And I'm not even sure about Elmer. And that was a funny story. But you know, as, as I got a little bit older, I asked my grandpa. I said, Grandpa, why didn't you want to join the church right away? What, what, what was your hesitation? And he got, a, he got a little embarrassed, which I had never seen. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. When I was a little boy on the farm in Nebraska, we did not feel welcome at church. He said, in the town that we lived, in the church that was there, only the rich people went to church for two reasons. One, they didn't have to work on Sunday, and two, we just weren't felt that welcome there. And you can understand why that negative experience in his childhood took some time to get over the rest of his life. 
So when we talk about not perishing but have eternal life, we're talking about starting here on earth. We who have faith are to be about the business that people aren't perishing. People who are on the edge, people who are working hard and trying their hardest, but that God's eternal life would be known starting now, physically, emotionally, spiritually, eternal life. Amen.